Welcome back to Zillennials Podcast. Today on Zillennials, our topic is debatable topics. So a debatable topic is kind of like a controversial opinion, kind of like a hot take. And we're going to just kind of go through a list of different ones that we've come up with. I put a couple more in the end, Leon, in the outline, just in case you uh, needed to see some more. Yeah, that's what I'm laughing at right now. (laughs) (laughs) I like my final one there. (laughs) Okay, that's what I was laughing at because I was like, is this a debate? Do people have other opinions? Because there's clearly one right way to do it. Okay, I think we should start off with that one. So for those of you listening, the last one on this list is, is there a proper way to cut a circular cake? Because you know how there's like, they say there's however many servings in a cake, right? When you go and you buy one from the store, they're like, oh, there's 13 servings or whatever. So what I have seen is people who make cakes do not cut it in like the little wedges. They cut it like lines, like a little grid. And that's how they cut their circular cake portions. No, the only cake you should cut into squares is like a sheet cake. Well, I'm just saying that's apparently the quote-unquote correct way to cut a circular cake so that you can get all of the portions out of it. No, the correct way is to cut into triangles like a normal person. See, that's what I would think too, because like you look at other circular foods, right? Like think of pizza. Yes! I guess in theory, there have been circular pizzas that I've had like, you know, in little squares and stuff. What? But like... You have not had, like, pizzas that are circular cut into squares? No, the only square pizzas I had is, like, when you're in elementary school and the school pizza square. But the whole thing is square. This is unnerving. Yeah, yeah, there's a restaurant near me that cuts their circular pizzas in little squares. But it's like, you don't take just one of those pieces as a serving because they're, like, they're small. You take, like, a couple. Is this a regional thing? I am not sure. I don't think it's a regional thing. I think that you can go anywhere and have, like, your circular pizza still cut in, like, squares. I need to ask around. I have literally never seen that in my life. Like, the only type of pizza I've seen that's square was when the pizza was kind of square to begin with. No, it's definitely a thing. I've I've had several pizzas that cut it, like, uh, like the little squares. So, I guess maybe that's not a good analogy then. Because... <laughs> um, I guess for my circular pizzas, I also have them like, you know, like little triangles, like little triangles and like little squares. So I'm assuming your opinion on cutting a circular cake is it needs to be in the squares, right? A circular cake needs to be in square? Oh, not squares. Sorry. Triangles. I misspoke. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was like so concerned for a second. I was like, what are you doing to me? They can't be in squares. Like, think of it this way. If you were at your birthday party or at your wedding or something and the person cuts your cake and it's a circular cake and it comes to you on a plate looking like a square. Also, what do you do with the edges? Because you can't cut a circle into a perfect square. So there's going to be waste on the edges of the cake where if you cut it into triangles, it would all be served. See, my thing on the like rectangular cut of a circular cake is I feel like the reason why I don't like it is because some people get a disproportionate amount of frosting. Because especially like as a kid, I loved frosting, you know? I feel like this is a common theme among kids. They all love frosting because it's like super sugary and really bad for you. But like if you cut it into the triangles, everybody gets like the same amount of frosting roughly. But if you cut it into the squares or the rectangles, then it's like if you're a middle piece person, 
life is going to really be rough because you have almost no frosting. Yeah, that'd be sad. Imagine if you were the kid at the birthday party who got the middle piece and you wanted more frosting. Oh, I would just, I would be very sad. I would, I would leave. Just kidding. I wouldn't because I'd be polite, but I would think about it. It's like in your head, you're like, I should leave, but I can't. So I guess I'll eat my frostingless cake. Because I feel like at that point, it's like a glorified muffin. Okay, well, there's that whole, I guess, kind of hot take that a muffin is just a naked cupcake. Which I kind of agree with. I do, too. Because people try to make muffins into breakfast foods, but, like, the amount of sugar in a muffin, all you really need to do is add frosting. It's so true. Like, okay. And it kind of depends, too, because there are definitely, like, some recipes that are, like, healthy muffins. But, like, most muffins, like a chocolate muffin or something, like, that is essentially a chocolate cupcake without the frosting. It is essentially the same thing. Like, if, you know, you're having, like, a banana muffin and you, like, put in a little bit less cane sugar and a little bit more, like actual banana then i'm like all right i could see that being slightly different from like a cupcake but i'm like but unless there's fruit in it that is the thing that sweetens it it's essentially a cupcake yeah i think the perfect example is the chocolate muffin like what makes a chocolate muffin different than a chocolate cupcake arguably maybe the texture but that's pretty much all i can come up with yeah no i agree i definitely agree well, I think we need to do like a debatable topic where we're not on the same page. So let's see. I think we should go to long versus short books because I know that we were not on the same page. And this was something that sparked the idea for this episode. I much prefer long books, but I think it's because I'm unfairly prejudiced against short books. And like, I'm trying to recover and be more open to short books. But I'm that person where if I look at a book and it looks really short, for some reason in my head, I feel like it's not a good investment of my time and or say if I'm at my bookstore, my money, because books are pricey these days. And I feel like if I'm going to spend a lot of money on buying a book, I want it to last me more than a day of reading. So I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I think that short books are the perfect book. And the reason why I think short books are a good book is because it's like, if I check out a book that is a thousand pages from my library, I will likely not finish it before the loan is up. I just have other things that I'm doing. And so I think this also kind of ties into, I feel like we need to define what is a long book and a short book, because I think anything 300 pages and under is considered short. But I think anything like 600 pages and up is considered long. And anything in between is like a medium sized book. Okay, I have two things. One, maybe I should rephrase this as I like medium books because I'm not out there reading like, I don't know, War and Peace. Is that a long book? I feel like that's a really, really long book. I haven't actually read it, so I don't know. Is it long? I have no idea. I don't think I've ever seen it on a shelf. I mean, probably I have, and I've probably just walked past it and been like, I don't know if I'm ready to read that, but yeah. Um. Well, according to the interwebs, it's about a thousand pages. So I have to do a confession with this take on I like short books better. Um, I do like short books better. However, I feel like I'm a little bit of a fraud because I recently checked out a very long book from the library by Ursula Le Guin upon the recommendation of my friend Angela because she was like, oh my gosh, Ursula Le Guin is so good. And I was like, cool. And then I looked at a book and I was like, I'm going to get this one. 
And then I found out it was like a spinoff of a previous book. And I was like, well, I got to read the previous book first. And the previous book was literally like a thousand pages. And I was like, well, my library auto renews stuff for me. So I guess I'll just hold on to it until it yells at me to turn it back in. Okay, so... I'm definitely going to rephrase mine too is I think I prefer medium books, not long books. Like I feel like also I guess I'm kind of a fraud too on my opinion because during the school year I do not have time for long books. But I feel like for me too a short book is like something I don't know, 100ish, under 200 pages, but I feel like part of it too is I don't know. See, this is why I need to go. I need to get over it because I feel like there's some authors who probably do short books very, very well. I just feel like sometimes in my head that when I look at the size of it, I'm like, how can you write a good story in that amount of pages? And then sometimes I don't want to risk it. And also, I think this is more of a consideration if you're buying it versus if you're getting it from the library, because it doesn't really matter if you get it from the library. If you don't like it, it's like you just return it. I agree with that statement about the library. I think that, like you said, it's definitely more of a consideration when I'm buying a book. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I would look for the fattest books because I'd be like, I want it to keep me entertained for forever. But I think medium and short books are, like, good books. I feel like it's harder to find books that are, like, under 300 pages. Like, I feel like 300 pages is kind of, like, that sweet spot for people who publish their books. So... I don't know. I think 300 pages and under is short, 300 to 600 is medium, and then 600 and up is a long book. It's very seldom that I'll pick up a long book and be like, wow, they did such a great job with this. I do have to say, though, speaking of long books, I'm going to harken back to an episode that we did last year around this time. Do you know what is a long book? Is Twilight. Oh, I was gonna say the Codebreaker felt kind of long. <laughs> No, I feel like the Cold Breaker didn't feel that long. I liked it. It was just kind of long. I thought it was not that long. But like Twilight is like a 700 page book. It has no business being a 700 page book. It could have been accomplished in 200 pages. I just threw my bobby pin. I was so upset. I think the problem with long books is a lot of times you feel like there just could have been a better editing process. I think the sweet spot is like, for me, is like 400 to 500. Maybe like 350. I think like 300-ish is good. Like, I think that 300 to 600 range is pretty good. Like, if it's like 200, I'm not going to be upset at that. If it's like 100, then I might start to be a little bit like, oh, that was a wee bit short, unless it's like, you know, short stories or something. Um, But that's just my two cents on it. I do have a thought relating back to the whole library loan thing is I think unless I'm on summer break and even right now I'm kind of struggling with this one book I have a loan on for, but especially during the school year, two weeks is not enough time to finish a book. And sometimes when like for the podcast, if we're reading a book that's newer, my library will do the thing where like, this book is super popular, so you can't renew it, which I understand because they're trying to get it to as many people. They're trying to get it to as many people as they can. But the problem is instead of renewing, you have to put a request for a loan again. And so it's like, it's kind of odd because you read the book and theoretically the next time you get the book could be like a month later. That is a little odd. 
I have to say one of the things I love about my public library, which to be honest with you guys, the public libraries are part of the reason why I moved out of Kentucky. The public library where I was living was like not so great. It made me very sad. My favorite part about when you were moving and you were looking for places to move is how you're like, one of the main considerations is I have to tour the library and see if it's up to my standards. Okay, because like, that's an important thing. Because the thing is with libraries nowadays, like, yes, they are like a hub for books, but like, they're also a hub for like music, for movies, for games. Like there are so many different things that you can do at your library now that make it like so much more than just like a book haven. Like I was talking to one of my old coworkers the other day and she was saying how like at her public library, now there's a makerspace there where like you can learn embroidery or you can learn how to do watercolors or you can learn like all of these different things. You can learn how to 3D print. And I was like, see, that is so cool because that is like where the future of libraries is headed is you're going to be able to do all of these different things and like have these maker spaces where you're able to make things and learn how to do different life skills. And I don't know, I'm just very passionate about it. I love libraries. I think that they are awesome. I think they are such a great resource. Big fan. Well, I think they're almost becoming, I don't know what the percentage is, but I feel like they're becoming a bigger percent community center than just book because I think a lot of people are borrowing digitally these days. One thing that I do really like about my library though is they don't have late fees technically. And so what happens is if your book comes to the due date, which the due date is normally 21 days after you check it out. 21 days? 21 days. Isn't that awesome? So it's 21 days. And then if your book comes to the expiration date, it will automatically renew it for you unless there's a hold on that book. And it will do that more or less like indefinitely from what I know until somebody is like, hey, wait, I want that book. You know, what this reminds me of is sometime like last year or something when we were doing book club planning and I'm like, okay, can we pick the books? Because I have to put my requests in months ahead if it's like a newer book and you were so confused. I feel like that just shows the difference between our two libraries but to get all the book topics out of the way is I do love my library's digital options because they're yes sometimes I do have to put the loans in ahead of time but like like I said before they have the network so you can like get almost any book you want relatively quickly Mm -hmm. again if it's like a release within the last year you probably are gonna have to wait but I like it because even if I put in a hold in and I have to wait, I don't have to go and pick the book up. I can just sit at home and it appears. And that helps when you're busy. Oh, I think for me, I would have to go and pick the book up. I don't think they like mail it to you. Oh, no, I do digital ones. I don't do physical books from the library. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Okay. It'd probably make the poor libraries go broke, but it'd be kind of cool if they could mail them. That would be kind of cool. But also, you know that there would totally be people saying like, I never received this book, so I can't return it to you. Let's go on to physical versus digital versus audiobooks. So why don't you tell me your ranking first for which is the best format of book? Sure. I think what's kind of funny about me is I have my ranking, but then I also have the type that I've been using the most recently. And by recently, I mean this past year. 
and they're totally flipped. So my ranking is physical books are the best. There's something about like that tactile nature of like flipping the pages and I don't know, seeing your progress as you go through. And then audiobooks. I quite enjoy a good audiobook. It really depends on the narrator sometimes though, because like not in I feel like this is kind of a lot to say on a podcast, but like sometimes the narrator's voice just doesn't work for me. And I just can't listen to it. And then digital, like, Kindle books. But what I think is kind of funny is that over the past year, I think I've read more Kindle books than any other type just because of the ease and the convenience of them. But it doesn't necessarily mean I like them the best. So I disagree with your ranking. I would go audio first, physical second, and digital third. And the reason why I would say audio first is because even if the book is not that entertaining, I'm more likely to be able to get through it if it's an audiobook versus a physical book, because I'm just like, oh, I can play it while I'm like cleaning the house. You know what I mean? So, and I find that that's kind of what I've been using more than any of the other formats of books as well. So I feel like audio is probably my first pick, physical is my second, and digital is my third. But I do have to say, in terms of like digital and physical it is definitely way more satisfying to uh, to have like a physical book. Just it's, It just is. It's so much nicer. And I think the reason why I don't like digital books is because a lot of the times you have to read them on, um, on a screen. And I just, I don't know, it like strains my eyes. I'm not a big fan. Let's see. What is my, what are my thoughts on your ranking? I think I recently rediscovered audiobooks this past year because when we were reading for the podcast and I was reading all day for school and stuff, the last thing I wanted to do was read more. So I do like how with audiobooks, you kind of have more flexibility. Like you said, you could do the dishes, you could do laundry, go for a walk or something. But I think part of what's nice about a physical book is like, It makes it more of an activity because when you're reading it, you actually are only focusing on that one thing. So I do like that part of it. I could see that. I feel like with a physical book, you get more absorbed in the story, whereas a digital book or not digital audiobook, you may not be as absorbed in the story. It's a little bit more of like a casual listen. Which I think we might have mentioned this before, but that's why I think they're kind of good for like those you know, what people call them, beach read. Just because those are lighter anyway, and if you, like, zone out for a few seconds, you'll be fine. Yeah, I agree. So if you could only have one, would yours be audio? I feel like that's a really hard question. If I could only have one, I think mine might be physical. Even though I ranked audio higher, it's just because of the frequency in which I use it compared to physical. Yeah, I think I would do physical. I wonder how much of that, too, is nostalgia, because I feel like when we were little, yeah, we had, like, books on tape or books on CD, but Kindles weren't a thing until, what, late elementary school, maybe? And that was, like, the very rudimentary Kindles, e-readers type thing. Um, And I think they've gotten way better in recent years than when they first came out. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it is, too, is, like, when I was little, that's what I would do a lot in the summer. I would just sit there and read. So, yeah, I like the experience of it. Yeah, I could see that. All right, did you have one that you wanted to talk about next? Ooh. Can we talk about the ducks and horses? Yes, we can. 
So this one is a question I've been asked many a time as like an icebreaker. So if you had a hundred duck-sized horses versus one horse-sized duck, which would you rather face or which do you think would win against each other? Wait, so do you mean face like it's angry and it's going to fight me? Yes. Is that the type of context we're going through? That is the context, yes. Well, well, my first thought is I would probably lose because I feel like I wouldn't want to hurt them. Um, <laughs> in terms of which one is scarier, honestly, a horse-sized duck is kind of terrifying to me. I agree with that. I think that the horse-sized duck, because like, okay, if you're thinking logistically, right? Like, how can I escape these horses or these ducks? Like, if you have a hundred duck-sized horses, you could climb a tree and they would be like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything. I can just be angry at the base of this tree and that's it. Whereas if you had a horse-sized duck, the horse-sized duck could fly up into the tree and just eat you out of the tree. Also, I feel like a duck-sized horse would be kind of cute. I think so, too. I think that would be, like, super cute. Could you imagine, like... So, this is totally not something that I would ever do because animal cruelty. But you could get them all to pull, like, a little chariot and you'd have, like, a little whole herd of horses pulling you. And there's so many. I think it'd be very cute, but also definitely not, not good for the animals. So I would not do it. This is a purely imaginative thing. Um, but yeah, if you had a hundred duck-sized horses fighting one horse-sized duck, who do you think would win? Hmm. The horse-sized duck? Really? I feel like, I feel like it'd be the horses because like, they're so small, but there's so many of them. But if there's a horse-sized duck, they have, they would have pretty big feet and could just like step on them. But then if you're saying by numbers, there are a chance that or there's a chance that if there's a hundred duck-sized horses and only one horse-sized duck, that you might lose some of the duck-sized horses along the way, but they might win in the end. That's true. I don't know. I feel like this would make more sense if it was a hundred normal-sized ducks versus one massive duck, because then they could fly up and attack the massive duck. I don't know. That's just my two cents. How often have you been asked this? Literally, like, I want to say at least five times. Have you never been asked this question? No. I think I've seen it around, but I personally have never been asked it. I think I've had this conversation with my siblings and my cousins several times. I was trying to think. I was like, wait, who did I pick? Yeah, wait, who did you pick? If I was fighting them? Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to fight animals because it'd make me sad. Okay, more so like if you were fleeing from. Who would you rather flee from? If I had to run away from one, maybe the horse-sized duck, because I feel like it wouldn't be able to maneuver on land very well. That's very true. I feel like the horse-sized duck would be like a good pick, but also like it depends on what the context is. Like where can you run to? Like if you have a house nearby horse-sized duck but like if there's nothing but trees duck-sized horses but they're so fast i feel like they'd be really fast they would be really fast but like if you climb up they can't get up whereas the the duck can like fly a little bit i guess yeah but then i think about like how long would i be stuck in that tree 
That's true. I don't know. Or like with the duck-sized horse. No, horse-sized duck. Like, if you go into your house to run away from it, do you think its bill would be, like, so big and strong that it could just, like, crack through the window? Possibly. Possibly. These are the deep questions that people need to ask. Yeah, so ask your friends horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses. What would they rather face? Oh my gosh, you know what I saw the other day, which I thought was kind of hilarious, was somebody was like, this was like on social media, not in real life, but on social media, I saw somebody riding their horse around their town because gas is so expensive. So they were like, I'm just going to use my horse because it's less expensive than gas. Okay, I feel like that person would have to live like somewhere relatively in the country. And two... You know how when you get on a highway, there are those signs that are like, no pedestrians, no bicycles, and no horses? Sometimes I like to think of, like, who's the person who tried to bring their horse on a highway? Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen those signs. I don't think we have them where I live. Maybe no one tried to bring a horse on the highway where you live. <laughs> Probably not. I feel like that would be so, like... Oh, gosh, could you imagine if there was a horse on the highway? I would feel so bad for that horse. Like, that is so scary. Oh. Also, this thought just came into my head because I feel like sometimes I worry about hypothetical situations that I'll never be put in. For example, I would never be a horse in a horse trailer because I am a human, so I don't know why I have this thought. Also, I don't know if horses are self-aware in this way, so this could be completely irrelevant. But if I was a horse in a horse trailer and saw that no horses sign as my trailer was going onto the highway, I'd be so worried the whole time. He'd be like, I'm a contraband horse. What do I do? (laughs) So that's just a random thought I had now. And I realized it's completely irrelevant and would never become relevant at any point. But it makes me laugh at myself. That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Love it. Oh, another one that I wanted to talk to you about is socks and sandals. What are your opinions on socks and sandals? I feel like this one, along with the long and short books, were like the first two that we came up with. So I am firmly against socks and sandals. I feel like, no, don't do it. I think that if it is hot enough to wear sandals, it's too hot for socks. And if it's cold enough that you need socks to be able to wear your sandals or else your toes will get cold, it's not sandal weather. And I feel like people who do this are probably in areas like where we live where you're sick of winter. So you're trying to force like spring and summer before it's actually ready. So you're like, I'm going to wear sandals because I'm sick of winter. But then I'm just looking at you like it's not warm enough yet. Just stop. So... I think for the aesthetics purposes, I feel like socks and sandals is kind of weird. I don't necessarily like it. I'm like, maybe it's a comfort thing. Okay, so on the uh, socks with slides thing is I recently got a pair of slides because I hate in the summer when you're walking around barefoot and like little crummies stick to your feet because I feel like no matter how much you sweep, there's going to be little crummies on the ground that stick to your feet and I hate it. So I got some slides. So I kind of use them as... Well, I'm very firmly, they are my inside shoes. I will not go outside in them. And two, I feel like they're almost being used as my my slippers, but because it's summer, I don't wear socks with them because my feet would get gross and warm. 
So, Leon, I have something to say to you that might uh, rock your world a little bit. You know how you have to uh, wear them inside because of the crumbs and like little like, you know, miscellaneous things that you find on the floor? It's because your floors are hardwood. If you had carpet, this would not be an issue. Okay, my counter to that is the crumbs are still in your floor. You just can't feel them because the carpet ate them. And that's even more disgusting. I'm just saying. You wouldn't be able to feel them, so you wouldn't need to wear the little flip-flops. I agree you wouldn't be able to feel them. I, especially in rentals, stand by my thing that their previous owners, crumbs and dead skin cells and all sorts of stuff are absorbed by that carpet. So I will still take the hardwood. See, I agree with that for rentals just because it's like you don't know who lived there before. So like, you're nasty, but like at the same time... Carpet is so comfortable, and, like, if you vacuum on a consistent basis, it's really not that much of an issue. Yeah, but, like, I'm too busy to vacuum on a consistent basis. We're vacuuming on a, like, people-are-coming-over basis. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair, fair. I would love to be that person who vacuums, like, every night or something, but I am not. Oh, I have a question for you. This is something that, like... My boyfriend and I have discussed sometimes. Would you rather sweep or vacuum? Okay, I feel like I have two different answers because one, the vacuum doesn't always get everything. And so, ooh, also, I don't know if it's true or not, but when I was little, my mom used to always sweep the floors and then wipe them because vacuums can actually like spray around dust. I don't know if that's true or not, but... I don't even know where I'm going with this. I feel like this doesn't answer the question at all. But that was my first thought when you asked that. So I can appreciate that thought. I think that vacuums do probably spray a little bit of like dustiness around. But I was asking more so like in terms of which one is more fun for you to do. Is it more fun for you to vacuum or more fun for you to sweep? Oh, I thought you meant like practically, you know, so like I was trying to consider the dust spraying around like how that would weigh into my analysis in terms of which one is more fun. Okay, I think I might say vacuum, not because it's more fun, but just because it's faster. And I can spend like half the time doing it and think I did something. See, that's interesting because for me, I would much rather sweep than vacuum, even though I know that we've had our whole debate on carpet versus hardwood floors. Um, How do you sweep a carpet? What are you getting up? You're not going to sweep a carpet. It's like, you know, you use them for their appropriate things. Like I would sweep my kitchen. So I would pick sweeping because, to be honest with you, the motivation to plug in the vacuum is so low. And then also, I hate that it's so loud. Like, if I'm sweeping, I can listen to, like, a podcast or a book on tape. If you are vacuuming, you are not able to do any of that. You just have to vacuum. And it drives me insane. I'm like, oh my gosh, this drives me nuts. Okay, I feel like I might amend my answer too, just because which one do I do more? I sweep more. Not which one do you do more? Which one would you think is more fun? Well, I don't think either of them are fun. But I think I sweep more, but also, like, okay, so when I'm at my mom's, I feel like I really do just kind of like sweep up the crummies and then like wipe down the floor. But then when I'm at Kyle's, he has one of those robots. And I like playing with the robot. Like one of those little, uh, what are they? I want to call them Zumbas, but that's not right. 
It's a Roomba, but he has like a knockoff Roomba. I'm glad that it's a Roomba and not a Zumba because I was like, this is not right. That's a dance class. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that could also be kind of coloring my opinion because when you say vacuum, I think of letting the little uh, knockoff Roomba out and watching him go around the floor. But it's a little tricky because you have to watch where he's going because sometimes he'll try to eat up the cables. Oh, do you know what you should have Kyle do? I'm totally just uh, volunteering Kyle for this. You should have him paint the Zo- the, uh, the Zumba. You should have him paint the Roomba as like a little animal of some sort. So then when it goes around, it's like extra cute. That's what I would do. Speaking of animals writing things. So the other day I saw this person who has, a tur- has a turtle, right? And the turtle's pretty big. And turtles, you know, they are pretty slow moving on land. Like they have some difficulty moving. So what they did was they put a Hot Wheels car underneath their turtle so that the turtle can move around quicker. And so their turtle was like zooming all around the room because they had wheels. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But also I wonder if the turtle likes it. But if the turtle likes it, that's a good mode of transportation. I just feel like, I don't know, wouldn't that be like kind of uncomfy on like the shell? I feel like it maybe would. Yeah. I know nothing about turtles, but like, I feel like the under part of the shell, like, I don't know. Is it as hard as the outer part of the shell? I think it's still pretty hard. I don't know if it's as hard, but I think it is still pretty hard. I feel like it'd be better if you had like a tech deck. You know what I'm saying? Because then it's like a flat surface. Yeah. Okay, my thing is... I have such mixed feeling about those animal videos where, like, the animal's doing something funny. Not the ones where they fall down. I hate the ones where, the, like, the animal, like, falls off something. Those are not funny. Where I think it's kind of cute, but then I'm also like, I feel like people shouldn't be making videos of this because then other people are going to try it and then people's pets aren't going to like it. Mm-hmm. But that's also just me. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Do you like when people do breakfast for dinner? I actually really enjoy breakfast for dinner. I think that breakfast for dinner is like really nice. I would not want it all the time, but like if you're on vacation and you've got leftovers, for sure. Breakfast for dinner all day, every day. I mean, not every day, but you know. All day, some days. (laughs) All day, some days. Yeah, I am very anti breakfast for dinner. I do not like it. I think breakfast is the inferior meal group. And so eating it more than once in a day is not appealing to me. I like breakfast a lot. Like, I think that breakfast is a good meal, but like, you got to have like a good breakfast. Like, I'm not talking like you have cereal for dinner. Like, that's just sad. Like, you got to have like eggs and hash browns. And like, I don't know, maybe you have like little mini silver dollar pancakes. Or like, maybe you have a muffin, even though it's truly a cupcake for dessert. But yeah, or like, you know, you have a bagel that you like make into like a little bagel sandwich. That to me is like a really good breakfast for dinner. That is the type of breakfast for dinner that I want. Okay, I agree. If you're doing breakfast for dinner as like an event, do not put cereal in a bowl and call it a day. But my thing is like, I like those. I like a good egg with some pancakes or something, but I don't like it enough to have it more than once in a day. I would like to propose dinner for breakfast. Actually, dinner for breakfast would not be a bad idea. I'm not opposed. But the thing is, like, dinner for breakfast, I don't want it to be anything, like, super, super heavy, like, steak. Ew. Get that out of my breakfast, like, area. 
So you're not like a steak and eggs person or whatever that thing is called? I'm just generally not a steak person. So uh, <laughs> just not a steak person. Yeah, I feel like the best breakfasts I've had are when I was in China. And that's because I feel like their breakfast foods aren't super breakfasty in the like Western American sense. And I feel like that is the level of breakfast I aspire to. Okay, I would agree with that. I think that the breakfasts that we had in China were awesome. They were super good. Do you know what I have to say, though, is the breakfasts in Spain? I'm sorry, but they're not it. It's mostly like toast and jam. Like, if you're going to a really bougie place, it might be like lunch meat and like slices of cheese. But I'm like, oh, like, it's just not it's not enough. It's not a breakfasty enough breakfast. Yeah. Also, I think part of the thing about breakfast foods is I think half of them are essentially just desserts. And while I like sweets, I'm not like that crazy about them. Like when I let's say I go out to. okay, I don't really go out to breakfast because that's way too early. But let's say brunch and you choose off the breakfast menu. Like I want something savory. I don't want waffles. Yeah. See, that's my thing is like, I feel like when I was a kid, I would be like, oh my gosh, I can have waffles or pancakes. But like now as an adult, I'm like, that just doesn't keep me full. So like, I usually don't gravitate towards those. I do have to say, though, I had a friend who was in town for business a little bit ago. And she and I met up for breakfast. And what we did was one of us ordered like the pancakes and the other one ordered something savory. And then we just split it half and half. So you got a little bit of like the sweet and a little bit of the savory. And it was very good. If you're going out to breakfast with a friend, I would highly recommend like one of you order sweet, one of you order savory, and then you just do a little like switch. I agree with that too, because also the servings when you go out to breakfast here are ridiculously large. And I think I would appreciate a bite of a waffle or a pancake type thing, but I don't necessarily want the whole thing. But then if you're each ordering your whole your own food, you're not going to order both because that'd be just out of control. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would highly recommend doing like a little like swap. It was very good. So since we're talking about breakfast, we have no guests, but I feel like I need to share this. And I might have already said it before, but if I have, I feel like it's important enough to say again. Oatmeal is an overrated breakfast food because every time I have oatmeal, I'm hungry like an hour later. Really? I find it to be like the complete opposite for me. Like oatmeal fills me up for like hours. What are you doing to your oatmeal? Because I really like, like, for example, in the Oh Glows cookbook that we both have, she has a really good like, quote, apple pie overnight oats type situation. I really like it. So it's not that I don't like it. It's just I finished and like within two hours, I was like, I'm so hungry. So I think oatmeal's overrated. I think that this one was probably an idea that I got from the Oshi Glows cookbook, but I put like some banana in there and I put some chia seeds in there. And I really like that because it keeps me pretty full because it's like you're adding a little bit more than like just oats. And it also gives it like a nice little flavor. So that's typically what I do is I put like some fruit and like some other thing like chia seeds or flax seeds or something else in there that's going to like make it a little bit more filling. It definitely makes it a little bit higher in calories, but like it's also really good because it keeps me full like definitely until lunch. Yeah, I agree because I think 
I like her recipes the best because she does put chia seeds in them and like the fruit. I even topped it with granola. Um, and so I'm thinking maybe the issue is I'm just not eating enough of it. And it's not so much the oatmeal's fault, but like I just haven't had good luck with oatmeal long term. I think the thing about oatmeal is a lot of the times it can start to taste kind of boring and like the same. You know what I mean? Like it's not like one of those foods that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to eat this all the time. And like I've seen people who do like really cool things to their oatmeal where they're like, they'll bake their oatmeal, they'll do this with their oatmeal, they'll put like a little bit of chocolate on the top and freeze it and like just like cool things. And I'm like, that's awesome. But I was like, but also as a normal everyday person, I do not have the time to put in that amount of effort into making like really good oatmeal. I wish I did, but I'm like, if it takes me more than five, 10 minutes, it's too long. I tried baked oatmeal. I think it was last year. I wasn't into it. It could have been the recipe. I would try it again. I don't know. I feel like baked oatmeal could be good, but I'm like, also, I don't want to dirty a whole bunch of dishes from just oatmeal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if they're like, and then you put it in the blender and then you bake it in the oven. I'm like, do you know how many dishes that is? I am far too lazy. So overall, you say no breakfast for dinner. I say yes, breakfast for dinner, but it's got to be a really solid breakfast. You can't like, don't give me some cereal in a bowl. That's sad. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Our book club episode up and coming is Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Dewar, and that will be dropping on August 1st. And we're going to have a guest. Ruhika will be joining us for that episode. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on our debatable topics. We'd love to hear if you have any topics you'd like us to discuss. We might do another one of these down the road. Um, If you do have anything to share, please send us an email or DM us on Instagram. And don't forget to rate Zillennials Podcasts on Apple Podcasts. You can find us at Zillennials Podcast on Instagram or email us at zillennialspodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to hit the subscribe button and stay a while. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.